I basically said, within the next year, we need you all to become full-time or we need to let you go and we need to bring in somebody else. And with that comes drama. It comes sadness. It comes, I went to work for a small firm and now you're trying to be a big firm. It's, it's all the things like that. Everybody wants to go the same direction you want to go. And I get that. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the editor-in-chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about everything from nurturing creativity and finding their firm's financial footing to discovering their own version of success. My guest today is a designer who has fully embraced her firm's need to evolve. Whether it was reconsidering a brick-and-mortar space her team occupied or getting more specific about the types of projects she wants to take on, she's learned to lean into the hard lessons of entrepreneurship and find beauty in a business that changes over time. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Universal Furniture. With styles for the whole home that will satisfy any interior aesthetic, the brand's to-the-trade program features hassle-free online ordering, no minimum order, and free shipping. Plus, beginning February 16th, you can save on all items during the company's winter sale. And that includes special order upholstery, which will be ready to ship in just six to eight weeks. Choose your fabric, finish, and cushion for the ultimate customization. Visit universalfurniture.com to browse items and learn more about Universal's To The Trade program. That's universalfurniture.com. Start the year off right by becoming a BOH Insider. You'll join hundreds of designers in Business of Home's membership community, which offers access to industry leaders, exclusive events, and in-depth analysis to keep you competitive and connected. Benefits include a subscription to BOH Magazine, a weekly curriculum of online workshops to help you grow your business, and a new series of field trips that offer an unparalleled look at some of the industry's most exciting resources. Learn more and sign up today businessofhome.com slash BOH Insider. I grew up, my mom worked for a magazine and she would set up their room scenes. So I watched my mom do that in our own house. And, you know, sometimes I would go to bed at night and I would come down in the morning and the next day the living room would look totally different. The walls had been painted, the furniture had been moved. There was something about coming down in the morning and being like, this feels like a totally new room. I think I just loved the concept of controlling that space. So it wasn't until I got into college where I realized that if I understood what was happening in the walls and behind the walls and with the structure that I could have like all the power to transform the inside of that space into something amazing. That's Amy Storm. She studied design at Iowa State University and graduated with her sights set on a career in commercial design. The transition was not as smooth as she had hoped. I did go to the one firm that I wanted to work at and it was all architects and they had one designer. The gentleman there said, you know, I just don't need you. I'm sorry. I just, we just don't need you. So I found another job. After six months of being there, they had major layoffs. And so, you know, all the newbies got laid off. I went back to the man that I interviewed with previously and I said, look, This is what I'm made to do. This is what I want to do. I'm a super hard worker. How about this? Hire me for three months, pay me basically nothing. And if you don't like me, you can fire me after three months. But if you like me, I get to stay. And he was like, okay. (laughs) Amy spent almost 10 years at the firm, working her way up to the role of project manager. It wasn't until she had her first child that she decided to take some time off. But that hiatus didn't last very long. I quit and I didn't have a game plan at all. I had my very last day there and then the next day I said I'm going to take her in the stroller and go into town and you know just kind of walk around. And while I was walking around I got a phone call from a woman <laughs> whose whose friend is a realtor and had shown our previous we had a condo in the city that we sold and she had been a realtor that came through it and took my card and gave it to her friend and this lady called and said I'm finishing the end of 
construction on my house. I'm absolutely lost. I need somebody to help me. Can I hire you? And I was like, okay. And I went out there the next day. So I always say I took one day off of work and then I started my own business. The venture snowballed. And by 2016, Amy had built up a seven-person team. She would open up an office space for her firm the next year. I wanted to talk about the business consultant who finally pushed her firm toward profitability, how she navigated a massive overhaul of her team's structure, why she's decided to forego remodels and focus solely on new construction, and how she locks in a project's FF&E budget before ever breaking ground. What was the, the breaking point for you of saying, I need to make a change? And where did you start looking for an office space? You know, it's <laughs> it's funny. My husband and I were out for dinner one night and we noticed this little place across the street that looked like it was for rent. And the gentleman who owned the restaurant we were at happened to own that space. And so we got up after dinner and he took us over to look at it. And we we were like, oh, this would be amazing. We could fit at least three people in here. We thought it was <laughs> so big. I mean, I just look at it and I think, what in the world were we thinking? We had no idea what was coming our way. And, um, you know, within a short amount of time, we realized we wouldn't have any room to grow if we did that. So I guess we started just kind of putting the feelers out and we found a place in town that it's a 19... 19- 27 like the building was from 1927 and we just felt like it was the perfect place it was in downtown it was right next to the high school so we would be able to work and our kids would be able to come you know have lunch there or meet us after school if they needed a ride home and it kind of gave us a street presence in town so that we could start to get known better but we also didn't have the foresight to see what was coming. We thought the space was too big. So we were like, hey, let's open a store in the front of it. And that that way we can justify renting this much space. So we did that. We opened a store and, um, you know, it was mostly lamps and art and things like that. I think we had bigger hopes of sometime doing our own furniture lines and things like that. Um, but we quickly found we needed more space for our staff because it was growing and um, long story short, I did not like running a store at all. I felt like it distracted <laughs> me from my work. I thought I'm a way better designer than I am a retail store owner. And quite frankly, we make more money on a project than I did selling, you know, little vases and candlesticks. Right. And um, it just didn't work. And so we were really excited to close it down and then take over that space again for our office. So. It was good for the time that we had it. It gave us exposure and it opened up the doors to vendors that we still use now, you know, for our homes. But, um, and it was a good learning experience. And at least now I know I don't like it. You said we a couple of times talking about your business. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, about your team. And it sounds like your husband has a pretty big role in the business. Has that been true since the beginning? Yeah, when you know what I do say we Josh was not in the business with me until that 2016-2017 mark when we decided to rent a place. He had been at his company for about 17 years and it was just time for him to leave and the business had gotten enough traction that I said to him one day, "Look, if you quit your job, we're not going to die. Like we might, <laughs> we, we might not get any new clothes for a while and we might get, right. we might get skinny and we probably won't take a vacation, but you know, no one's going to die and I'm making enough money, you know, to, to cover things. And it was just a really great opportunity. He had been wanting to start another business, a rewards program with a, a guy that he worked with for years. And it was just the right time for him to step out and start that business and then come alongside me. Other than some projects I had thrown up on house, I had a horrible website. I had no social media presence. All these designers were starting to come out and use Instagram. And I was like, what is that? I don't even know. And really, I was 100% word of mouth. And so I was just kind of chipping away, happy that I had work and wasn't really thinking about the bigger picture of, you know, what the design firm could be. 
And Josh, coming from a marketing company, was like, <laughs> hey, I have somebody ideas needs to- for you. I have yeah. ideas. Yeah. And I really needed somebody to help me manage the money and all the finances because that was becoming, you know, all the purchasing was becoming such a, a time suck that I was having trouble getting both the design work and all of that paperwork and stuff done. So he really dove in and has done a lot of that marketing stuff, built our website, um, taught me how to do Instagram. We still do our (laughs) social media on our own. And um, he does work in our office. He does both jobs out of our office. He likes to joke that he's our technical support and the (laughs) printer paper changer because people are always like, why, why isn't the copy machine working? He's like, did you change the paper? (laughs) That is an important job. I will say (laughs) it is. is. The people always ask us, how do you guys work together, you know, and keep your marriage together? And we kind of joke, but it's true. We sit back to back. We literally don't look at each other all day. He does his job. I do mine. We overlap sometimes in a meeting. Uh, I make him lunch. He makes me lunch. But otherwise, we can literally go into work in the morning. And then when we leave, we're like, how was your day? So because um, we just have two very different roles in the company and neither one of us steps on the other person's foot. So, How did moving your whole team into an office space change the way the firm worked and change the way the business worked? It was the thing that changed everything. And um, it was good for us to get out of our our house, especially for the sake of my children. I don't think they liked that I constantly had work right there. Yeah. You know, what it did for the firm is it put me on a very fast-paced trajectory of learning how to do all the things the wrong way and then <laughs> going <laughs> then finally figuring out how to do them the right way. So, um, and I say that it's funny, but it's true. I mean, I have tried all the wrong ways to go about things because I, I never took a business class in my life. I, I had no idea how to do this and I didn't have anybody else in my life that was doing the same thing that I was doing. I just, I didn't have a network of people my dad is an entrepreneur. My father-in-law is an entrepreneur. They they could give me some business advice, but it never really seemed to apply so well to the world that I worked in. Some of the mistakes that I made when I did move from our house into a space where I was now incurring overhead and people people wanted pens and paper and snacks and coffee and um, all the things is that I had a lot of part-time employees and you can't really make money that well when everybody's part-time, unless you have people rotating in and out of desks. And so all of a sudden I'm finding myself operating in the red and I don't understand why, because we're so busy. I, and I remember saying to Josh, I can't work Physically, I cannot work any more hours or harder than I already work. How is it possible to work this hard and be in the red? Like, it doesn't make sense. And I was really kind of ready to throw in the towel. And um, we ended up hiring a gentleman in town to sit down with us and go through our books. And he sat down and looked at everything and came back to us and said, I have a list of, you know, eight things that you need to do. Wow. But here's... Here's the first three. <laughs> first of all, your desks, that's where you need people. So they're, you're losing money every time somebody's not working at their desk. So you need to get rid of all the people that are part-time or ask them to go full-time. And that, I mean, that is easier said than done. I can imagine at first look, that doesn't seem like it will it solve your crazy. problems. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, wait, I have to pay them more money. But mm-hmm. I don't have any money, right? And you know how how's that going to work out? But and and I'm not I'm not like an Excel spreadsheet kind of girl. But he put all the numbers together and said, you know, this is how this should be working, and this is this is why it's not working. And something about that, it just it clicked with me, and I was like, he's right. That's the only way that this is going to work. And that was a challenge. That was a year. It was. I mean, I was probably more generous with that than I needed to. But I basically said within the next year, we need you all to become full-time or we need to 
you know, let you go and we need to bring in somebody else. And with that comes drama. It comes sadness. It comes, I went to work for a small firm and now you're trying to be a big firm. It's, it's all the things right. like that. Everybody wants to go the same direction you want to go. So once I was able to not be so emotionally affected by that, we are able to like step into let's hire the right people for the work and change the way that we're doing things. How did you navigate that? Well, it was hard. <laughs> it wasn't easy. I don't ever want anybody to think it was easy. I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't cry over it or didn't stress over it or, you know, that it didn't cause stress sometimes between Josh and I, not because we were unhappy with each other, but because we were both stressed by the situation. Well, and if it's a, if it's a year long transition, it's also not like it is over and then you move on. You just stew in it for a while, I would imagine. Yes. Yes. There was a lot of stewing. So that's probably, remember when I said I learned how to do things the wrong way? Right, right. And, would you, and, today, <laughs> would you pull the bandaid off and just say like, this is happening yes. in three months? Yeah. Yes. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah. Yes. I would do it a lot faster this time. And I, I'm way more in the mode of, you know, hire slowly and fire fast or fire quickly um, than I was, you know, a couple of years ago, because I realize that my company does not function well unless all the players are team players. And if you have one stinker in the bunch, especially in, I say we're a small firm, but we're not really, there's 15 people there. So, but in a, in an office that size, you could have one stinker, they can really ruin it for everybody. And I'm just not willing to put up with it anymore. I want to go to work and be happy. And I want my staff to be happy. Um, when we did start hiring on, we hired, uh, full time. So there was a time, there was a point in time where there were new people coming in that were full time and there were old people that were part time. And that was tricky also. Yeah. Right. So a little bit of resentment maybe in the office or why does that person have more jobs than I have that, that kind of stuff. So now we have somebody who's been with us for seven years. Um, a couple of people that have been with us for more than four years and then, you know, we've got a handful of people that are like in the two, three, you know, beyond one, two, three years. So do you feel like you're looking for different things today now too in a team member? Definitely. Yes. So I don't want to discourage anybody who's entry level, but I really feel like for my firm and the expectation that our clients have of being serviced well, um, it's better for me if I don't have those entry level positions where in the past I probably would have been like, it's better for my bottom line if I hire young people because it's cheaper and I can train them up the right way. But I think I've had enough people over time to train them up the right way that we're able to influence new people that come in that have a couple years experience, you know, in that direction without having to start from scratch. You mentioned that the, your consultant had three recommendations. Hiring the team full-time was the first one. What mm -hmm. were the other two? <laughs> one of them was uh, to close the store. Okay. Which, which I thought You him, sounded I like, him like on. you were, oh, I was saying, I thought you were going to say that you were happy about it. Well, and not at the time. At the time that I had to, uh, that hurt my pride a little bit that I okay. couldn't figure out how to make both of them work at the same time. And I dragged that out for probably a year longer <laughs> okay. than I could have. <laughs> so that was one of them. Um, another one was to get out of the red and get enough beyond it that we had extra saved in case there was like an economic downturn and we needed to have money in reserves, which, I mean, this is before COVID hit. So right. like, what? Like, what? You crazy what man. What are you talking what about? about? Yeah. Yeah, you want me to hold this extra money just in case something happens? But he really stuck it to us. So I think it's good for people to know this if they're starting their business. Because what you see on Instagram and social media and stuff, it's it looks like everybody who's in the design business is just killing it. you know. And it's right. really easy to look at it and be like, that lady's got all these fancy shoes. Well, you don't know what her husband does. Or right. that person has all this stuff. Well, you don't know how hard maybe they've worked for 20 years to get there. But Josh and I, I mean, I pretty much took no money because Josh had started his other business and, you know, had some money coming in. I took 
hardly any money. We gave more money out at Christmas time to our staff and bonuses and things like that than we ever took for ourselves. And we really sacrificed a lot for a long time to get the company like back, not in the red and with money and savings and, you know, able to do and treat our staff the way if we were going to bring good people in, we needed to offer 401k. We needed to have profit sharing. We needed to have other things that, you know, bigger companies could offer. And so we really um, didn't take a lot for a long, long, long time or anything really <laughs> until we were able to get to the place where we could do that for our staff. And I feel super proud of us, probably more than anything, that we've been able to get to that place. You know, you mentioned 401ks, profit sharing, all of those employee benefits to attract team members. I think that's so important. I think we don't talk about that in the design industry enough. I don't think enough people are offering that for their junior team members. What does it take to get that right, to set that up, to fund all of that, and to make that, you know, a real priority in your business? Yeah. Um, a lot of that, honestly, is beyond me. If there's anything <laughs> I've really learned in the last several years is that it is good to hire outside people to do the thing that is not your special skill set. Like I'm a, I'm a great designer. I'm great at working with people. I love, love, love working with my staff. Um, those are the things that make me happy and that I thrive on. I am not good at math. I don't like <laughs> spreadsheets. I don't like figuring out 401k stuff. I got a guy. So that's what it took to get it done is, is to find a person to help us do it. Now, I will say now, Josh and I have a daughter in college and another daughter going to college, and we always tell our staff, do your 401k, max it out, max it out, max it out, do everything you can to save that because these years will fly by and we want them to, we, we want them to walk away from our company someday when they do and say like, they really helped me. They set me up. I did a good job. I saved for my future. And so, yeah, we're always trying to encourage people to max it out, especially when it's, you know, every year when you can renew. What is your superpower at work? How do you show up at your firm and what do you bring that no one else can? This is a great question. So, and I actually asked my staff because Ooh. I was like, oh, I think I know my answer. But I asked my staff one day, what do you think my superpower is? And the sort of common answer was being able to come up with creative decision making kind of on the fly when there's an issue on the job site and we're not able to execute a design as intended because of whatever, I don't know, something looks different than how the architectural plans thought they were going to look or, you know, how we expected it to be in the job site. Maybe HVAC has to run through the room and now we have a soffit. And so coming up kind of with a on the fly game plan of how to remedy that issue um, is what they said was my superpower. So I asked my husband what he <laughs> thinks it is. <laughs> And I, I actually was like, I kind of have to agree with him too. One of my superpowers is that I remember the craziest things. Okay. So I, I struggle sometimes to remember birthdays of family members, but I will remember, I remember saying to, I went into a, a client's house one time and I was, this is back when we did remodels. And I remember us walking around with her talking about all the things that she wanted to do. And I had two designers there that were measuring the rooms and taking pictures of things. And when we got back to the office, we were talking about the space. And I said, how are we going to handle that like funky outlet that's in the wall in the dining room where we want to do this, this, and this. And they both looked at me and they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, that crazy outlet that was in the wall. Cause I just notice things if they seem out of place or they seem weird and they, sure enough, they go through their pictures and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, neither one of us noticed that. So it's, it's little like details like that, that I notice and I retain, or somebody says something to me about, you know, something they like, or they're passionate about. And I'll remember that, you know, six months later, a year later, when we're, maybe we're selecting their furniture, I can be like, oh, I remember she went to Paris one time and she loved this place. And so let's find something that looks like this. And 
that in particular makes people feel like they've been listened to and they've been heard and we didn't just dismiss it because we have our own agenda, but we're like, hey, if that's important to you, it's important to us and we want to integrate it into your home. So those are my superpowers. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind you about Universal Furniture. With collections like Coastal Living Home, Coastal Living Outdoor, Miranda Kerr Home, and Coalesce, you are sure to find a style to satisfy any interior aesthetic. Even better, Universal's To The Trade program offers online ordering, no minimum order, and free shipping. Plus, you'll save on all items during the company's winter sale, February 16th to 29th. That includes special order upholstery, where you can choose your fabric, finish, and cushion for the ultimate customization. Visit universalfurniture.com to browse items and learn more about Universal's To The Trade program. That's universalfurniture.com. How has your role at the firm evolved as your team has grown? Where do clients see you? Where are you active in a project? And where is your team running with the work? And how do you get comfortable with change as that evolves? It was not easy for me to let go of controlling our projects. It definitely took me a long time. But I have a couple seniors at the office who have been with me for a long time, and I've seen them in action. And I've received a lot of compliments from homeowners and contractors from them. And that has allowed me to trust them more. You know, I don't feel like I have to show up at every meeting and oversee everything. And the other reason I can trust them is because when there is a problem, they come to me. You know, I don't feel like they're trying to hide something from me or an oops or something like that. So, you know, having really good and open communication is key in the office. The the thing I love the most about projects, I think, is that initial meeting the homeowners, diving in to their project, extracting their design DNA, which is something that we do in our office. We create a DNA for every project. And I always tell the homeowners, I want to extract your inner design DNA, and then we're going to enhance it. And we're going to make it more detailed and more refined and even better than, you know, kind of what you imagine, but we want to, the root of it is going to come from you. And so it's unique to you and it's special to you. And it, even though, you know, when you look at our projects, you see this level of quality and design and detail running through the projects. We hope that each house kind of takes on a personality of its own and that's reflective of our homeowner. So I love that initial part of the project of getting to know them, creating their DNA and really kickstarting the design through the house with um, cabinets in the kitchen or, you know, millwork details and stuff through the house, some of those um, bigger decisions, and then some of those really little decisions. And then I feel like the whole office is very capable of taking that information and running with it. And then they, you know, infuse their own creative ideas and inspiration, things that they're seeing online. And I just think that the projects are constantly being elevated because I'm not trying to take them and do them all by myself. You know, everybody in our office comes with creative ideas and and a great skill set. And it would be a shame if I squashed that. Right. So, yeah, sometimes we have to redirect and sometimes we have to weed some stuff out. But ultimately, I think that our team's able to extract that information from the homeowner and then present it in, you know, a really creative way. You know, you mentioned back when we did remodels in sort of an offhanded way, but I was curious, what is sort of the typical scope of work for you now? Or what kind of projects are you saying yes to? Yeah. So because of COVID, we were experiencing long lead times on things. And I think I got to the point where I thought, I know how to do a remodel. I could do it in my sleep. But you have to do everything all at the same time. And I just thought, I don't think we can do this and do this really, really well because we're always going to have this thing of we can't get that on time. We can't get that on time. And we started to see an uptake in requests for new construction. And so it was a little scary for me, but I just kind of put it out there. I said, I'm not going to take any more remodels on unless they're extremely sizable. Or maybe like 
a former client that wants to do another home or something. We just can't say no. But um, I said, I'm just not going to take any more on and let's just see what happens. And it worked. We ended up with the whole next year, just all new construction. And that was especially coming off of COVID. That was better because you know, it takes a lot longer. And I hate to, I don't even like talking about like COVID times, but in that time, there was, you know, three months where we couldn't, or four months where we couldn't, some people weren't in the office, we couldn't go places, whatever. We just drew like crazy. We just drew and drew and drew and drew and drew. We did all the drawings for all the jobs. And you and can do that at home. I mean, it's you not can. great, yeah. but you can. Yeah, it's not great, but you can. And so we just tried to make as much headway on projects as we possibly could. Then maybe like two, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I said, okay, now we're getting too many requests for new construction homes <laughs> and people are still trying to haggle me and people are still, and I'm turning away jobs. I can't even tell you how many work requests we get. Okay. Can I interrupt you for one second? When you switch to, okay, we're not going to do renovations. We're going to do new builds. Does yeah. that change the volume of projects you say yes to? Um, the answer is yes, because I think, you know, at the time we were pushing maybe 40 projects at a time and because some of them were kitchen remodels and some were new construction, some were basement remodels. And you know what else I found is when we were doing remodels is that it was very frantic because you could never just like sit down and hone in on one part of the project. You had to do all of it all of the time. And I think in my office, I think people actually really like saying like, hey, we're in this phase of this project and we're going to be there for the next three months and we're just going to like rock it. We're going to do all the things. We're going to tie up all the loose ends and then we're going to put it behind us and move into the next section. And so, yes, I think it did change our workflow. It was a very dramatic change. And there's times where I was like, oh, <laughs> do we have enough to keep everybody busy? You know, yeah. this job just got put, this job just got put on hold. How, do I need to fill that void? So yeah, I mean, it's an emotional kind of roller coaster thing, but I really stuck to my guns on it. I really, really, really did because I was like, I can't take our company to the next level if I'm always doing all these other little things. Like, how can I give this big client the attention they need if I have five other jobs of all these little things and you know, every designer knows that a little job takes just as much time and energy as a big job. And actually, on a lower budget project, those clients probably tend to ask more questions or complain more than on the bigger ones, which is really strange, but it, it just happens. So um, maybe it's a stretch to hire a designer. And so you're expecting perfection. And so maybe that you become more needy in that kind of interaction. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like it was just too much. And so, yeah, the answer to your question, the short answer to your question is that the workflow changed a lot. And there were times where it didn't feel like we were busy enough. And then all of a sudden you get this like big upswing of everything needing to be done at the same time on all the jobs. So you can't predict construction schedules. Things happen all the time. Things get put on hold or people delay projects for, you know, one reason or another. And so I always tried to have enough to be a little bit too busy for our own good um, rather than have less. What's a full plate today, just in terms of project volume then? After I decided we're only going to do new construction, then I said, we're going to set a minimum construction cost for us to even consider a job. And I adjusted our website and um, my way of talking about projects to people to say, unless it's this um, spend, we're just not the right people for you. And that was very scary. In fact, last year, I felt very scared. I was used to signing a contract maybe like almost every month. And I think I went six or seven months without signing a contract. And that, that was kind of freak, freaking me out a bit, even though we were busy and, and we had stuff, you know, to keep us busy for the next year or two, I felt a little concerned about that. And then we had a huge um, influx, you know, at the end of the year and the beginning of this year. And now I'm already too booked out for, you know, the rest of the year. So it just comes in weird waves. It's hard to predict. 
<laughs> but I, I have felt that by setting a minimum spend with that amount of money comes, okay, now I know I have a year of work on this project, at least probably a year and a half, maybe two years. And I also know that there's the opportunity to purchase the furniture for the home, um, which was another change that I made uh, about a year ago. As I said, I'm not taking any more projects on unless the FF&E is included in with the construction because I had five jobs in 2021, bridging 22, where for just different weird reasons, the homeowners didn't end up having us do their furniture and they didn't do it. It's not like they hired somebody else. They just didn't do it. And I thought, why did we spend two years on this project, pushing other people aside, saying no to other jobs, working our tail off, and now we can't take photos. We have nothing to show for it. And we didn't really make any money other than, you know, on our time. And I just said, it's just not worth it. You know, for us as a company, there's no joy in that to do that project and then not get to show it off to the world. And so we said from now on, you know, unless we're going to do the furniture part of it too, we're not taking that job. So, you know, along the way, I've kind of like put these stakes in the ground that have dramatically transformed our company's trajectory, but it, you know, didn't come without hesitation and maybe a little fear <laughs> along the way, or <laughs> totally. maybe a lot of optimistic thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this will work. I like stakes in the ground as a, a way to describe that, that approach. I love the idea too of, of saying FF&E has to be included. You know, we need to purchase and install this for you from a contract perspective or from a, you know, onboarding perspective, when you meet a new client, how do you do that and make it stick? How do you give that sort of teeth either in the way that you onboard or sign your contract or the way you charge? How does that work? I mean, because I feel like everyone comes in saying they want to do it, right? So it's not like everybody comes in saying they want to do it and everybody underestimates what the cost of their house is really going to be. And you can tell them all day long, and no matter how great your contractor <laughs> is, no matter how great your architect is, no matter how great your designer is, you know, we're going to plan the best we can at the starting line of this. And you're going to spend more by the time you get to the, the finish line because right. you're going you're gonna to see things you want. You're going to want to elevate something, you know, from a design standpoint. Um, and so you get to the end of this, we don't want you to be out of money. So, you know, one of the one of the things I do even when I send a proposal is I will often say your house is X amount of square feet. You should anticipate this amount of spend on your FF&E and we're not even really going to talk about it or even ask you for that for a deposit on that stuff for a year, but you need to suck it away and plan for it because we do 20 something houses a year. I can tell you what it costs the spend is in this range. And I'm not I'm not a miracle worker. I can't show up and do it for half of that and make it look as good. People always try and go down that road. Well, could we do it for less? Like you could do the first, just the first floor. That would right. be less. <laughs> but half. I can't do yeah. the whole house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, I mean, I think that's something I've had to learn over the years, um, reflecting back on learning how to do all the things the wrong way. In the past, I probably would have accommodated that and said, you know, I'll do my best. And then the house wouldn't be the very best because I couldn't do it and make it look how it should look for half the price. Is is telling someone, you know, a year from now, these funds should be ready to do this right. Has that worked in terms of getting to that stage and having clients be ready with a budget, you know, and ready to purchase? Yeah, that's a good question. It's 50-50. Some people okay. hear it and they put it aside <laughs> and they save it. Other people hear it and then things come up and they start pulling from it. And then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, we can't spend that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's 50-50. I went to a fixed fee. Yep. Our time for your project includes all of the construction and all of the FF&E you know, selecting, budgeting, purchasing, expediting, moving you in. And so if you opt not to do it, 
then it's too bad for you because you pay for the time for us to do that. And that's not negotiable. That's really interesting. Is that all paid up front or how do you bill for that? How do you bill that fee? I do my um, contracts. I either do them in half or in thirds, depending on the longevity of the project. Just out of fairness to the homeowner, I don't want them to give me a bunch of money that, you know, like they could be using for themselves for a year or whatever. So I take it, I take it in chunks. Um, but the uh, time is paid basically over the course of the construction before you're even really doing the FF&E. And so then we have that to do it. So I really try and I, in my contract, I even say like your next, your next one is due at this point and your, your next deposit is due at this point. And it just is what it is. And honestly, I used to, I used to bill hourly and that's okay. You know, different people in different phases of their career and even in like different environments that might work. But what I found as we started to get into higher end clientele is that they don't want to write me 15 checks. They don't want me to be asking them for money all the time. They don't even want to have to write weird dollars and cents. They want to work with whole numbers. And so I just said, look, here, this is the fee. It is what it is. You send me a check once and then you send me a check again and we never have to talk about it. So the only, the only way we would ever have to talk about fees again is if you significantly increase or decrease the size of your house or so you decide suddenly that you're going to add a guest house and a pool house and now we have to do all that kind of stuff too. I've done this long enough to know how long it takes and that's how, that's how I establish my fees. So I, I have records of everything. I can go back and look at all of my projects and see exactly how many hours we spent on schematic design, design development, construction design, you know, the way we track our time in our office, it's very detailed and I can run a report at any time and see what it costs. And that's how I gauge my fees. So never trying to rip anybody off or be unfair, but just, it just is what it is. Has that shift changed the way a project feels? How do you, how do you experience the difference in a day-to-day interaction with clients? So when I shifted to a fixed fee, I feel like it eliminated a lot of the stress that I used to see in clients when a meeting would be running long Mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe a sub showed up late. And so we're kind of standing around the job site waiting. I could see when I was hourly that that would cause people a lot of stress because, and for me, it was stressful because I always wanted to be very aware of that and very cautious with my time. When we moved to a fixed fee, I think it took a lot of pressure off of our staff. Like, if you need to go to the job site, go to the job site. If you need to spend an extra hour on this to get it right, spend the extra hour on it to get it right. And if the client asks you if you want to stay and have a glass of wine at the end of the day after you're at their house and you want to, then stay and do it. And I don't want them to feel like, is this going to cost me extra money? <laughs> you know, right. You know, and I mean, when you work with somebody for two years, you become friends with them. We, I, I have so many friends that we've built homes for, and I love that. It's like the best part of the job is, and it's the hardest part of the job when you're done is not, they don't need you anymore sometimes and they're not <laughs> calling and you're like, but wait, I thought we were friends. But um, it really took a, a lot of that pressure away from our clients and from our staff of being like constantly aware. Now we still track our time internally, but the clients never have to deal with that. For great insights on building a better design business, look no further than BOH's weekly launch workshops. Upcoming online courses include lessons on boosting your brand with Instagram reels, crafting a website that attracts the right clients and elevating your interiors with the latest AI tools. Remember, workshops like these are free for all BOH insiders. Register today at businessofhome.com slash workshops. What role has social media played for you in accelerating business growth or bringing about new opportunities? It's been extremely wild. Um, Again, with Instagram, I did all the things wrong at the beginning of it. (laughs) What are, what are the wrong things? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I used to like, I used to post a picture and tag like 50 people in it, you know, trying to, okay, yeah, yeah. to, to no, notice us and repost us. And that I'm sure is just so annoying to all those people. <laughs> and I apologize to them uh, if they were one of the receivers of that. Um, I also used to give a lot of time to um, people on social media who are also bloggers who, um, you know, they make a lot of money by finding a project and then sourcing all the stuff and having links to it in their blogs for other people to get on and see my work and then order the stuff through them. And I was literally spoon feeding them all the information because they'd be like, hey, we want to feature you on your blog or on our blog. Oh, cool. That's awesome exposure. Uh, can you fill out this five page form and give us all you, all the information for all the things that, you know, you just spent the last year doing and so, so we can make money on it. And I would do it because I was so desperate for the exposure, but looking back at it, you know, had I taken one of the five hours that I spent doing that and just spent more time engaging with people on social media and creating relationships or, you know, maybe doing a better photo shoot, taking the time to make sure the picture was perfect or whatever, that would have been more worthwhile for me. So I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer. It's, it's a very collaborative business and we have been promoted by a lot of people who have really helped our following grow. And I'm super thankful for that. But there's some things like for me, my time is one of my most valuable assets and when it's waste when it's wasted, that's very frustrating to me. And so I feel like I wasted a lot of time doing things that didn't really pay off. What did move the needle for you on social? Yeah, um, I honestly think the biggest thing is that one of the things that we do is when we're doing a photo shoot at the end of the job, we always try and involve the contractor, the architect you know, anybody who had a significant hand in the project. And if we can get everybody in on getting the photography together, it makes for this really cool thing where we can either all post the same kind of pictures or, um, you know, we've, we did something one time where I posted a picture and said, you know, want to learn more about how we built this house, you should follow this guy. And then he posted a picture from the same project and said, want to know how you can get a house like this design? You should follow this guy. And it was the architect. And then the architect said, you know, want to know how a home we design can look this great on the interior? You should contact Amy Storm and Company. And so we did this sort of cyclical thing. And I think it drives people to move, you know, from one page to another. But the the bigger thing that came out of it, which maybe didn't grow the social media so much, is that we get a lot of people calling and saying, I like the relationship that I see with you and this builder and this architect. It looks like you guys had fun. You built a great house together. I want the same experience that guy had. So when I have an established relationship with somebody that I trust, their quality is good. Um, you know, I love to work with them and I just think it makes the whole job easier. Um, we also, I mean, I post well for six or seven years, I posted almost every day at 630 in the morning, you know, like clockwork, um, very consistent. And we really try and respond and engage people to, you know, keep that post, you know, kind of in people's faces longer. So that is a whole job in itself. It's exhausting. And we've tried to have other people help us with it. But I've always felt like it's important for my voice to be out there and it's it, nobody else knows all the little you know nooks and crannies of a job like we do and so I think if I want to share something that's genuine or that's giving an inside scoop then that it, it, it's important for me to be involved in it yeah posting every single day with something new inherently means you have a lot of photography to draw from strategically how do you approach that well, we've hired a photographer and built a relationship with him who gives us a lot of pictures. And I know photographers are all over the board. 
Um, some people will work with you all day and hand you a dozen pictures. Um, other people will work with you all day and hand you a hundred. So, you know, with our photographer, um, he's gotten to know us. He knows what's important to us and he gives us a lot of great time and he's got a great eye also. And so, you know, that's a win. We've used a lot of different photographers over the years and it was always a hard pill for me to swallow the cost of a good one. But if you want to know something that makes a huge difference in how we've grown our following, I would credit a lot of that to great photography because I did a lot of amazing projects 10 years ago, seven years ago, five years ago that they just don't show as well as they should because the person that we use just couldn't capture it in the same way. So for us, that was a big, like, let's die. Let's dig deep. Let's spend this money. Let's try it once and see what happens. And we were pretty much sold after that. I wanted to ask you about a partnership that I think a lot of us will see unfold on social media. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the shelter for the storms, the the project you're embarking yeah. on. With well, I mean, gosh, what can I even say about this? I honestly <laughs> never really thought that I would build my own house. And I think I just am so busy with everybody else's that I just never really gave it a thought, second thought. And I love the house that we're in. It's, you know, <laughs> it's great. And um, this opportunity came up. We initially bought the lot. Uh, with the intention of putting a house on it and selling the house. Um, partly because I think the next thing for Amy Storm and company is to get into some BRBOs, um, you know, um, re high-end rentals or just rentals in really cool places. Not It doesn't even have to be high-end, but more like you might not be able to have one of our houses, but how about if you go and stay in one for a weekend? We said, oh, maybe we should do one local. We'll build a house and we'll sell it as a as an Amy Storm and Company house. And a couple people said to us, why are you not building it for yourself? And I thought that was just crazy. And then um, <laughs> we were talking with some of the people at Lux Magazine. And they had done this with another designer, um, Lori Perangepe in Nashville. And Josh had and I had seen the article and we wondered a little bit about it, what the details of it were. And so we talked to our reps and just asked them about it. And we have a relationship with them already. I think they knew, you know, who they were dealing with. And they seemed really excited about the possibility of coming on with us as a Lux partner. So Long story short, you know, all the paperwork got drawn up and suddenly we're in this partnership and we're like, wow, I guess we we better rock and roll now. So um, with the partnership with Lux, we didn't put out any requirements. What we did say is we're fishing in a small pond. I want to be true to who we are and the vendors that we use and the quality of products that we put in other people's houses. And if I'm going to have a platform to promote them. I want to make sure that we're using things that we recommend and, you know, essentially push, push on other people for our own home. This gives me an opportunity to explain maybe a little bit more about why we like these products and why we use them and why we keep going back to them and why they're a good fit for, you know, what we're designing. So, you know, they had challenged us to try and get 10 partners and we're at 13 and we're kind of fighting people off. So it's a, it, that's kind of a fun <laughs> place to be. Um, we've, we have been so excited and encouraged as soon as we put the video out, we just got bombarded with other vendors that said, Hey, I want a small part in this. Even if I'm not a partner with Lux, can I partner with Amy Storm and company and, um, you know, do something cool with our product. And so that's just been so encouraging because really, and I know we're doing a great job. And I know we have a presence out there, but I also know so do a lot of other people. And I'm always very surprised 
it never ceases to surprise me when somebody comes and says, Hey, we think your stuff is great. We want to be a part of this. I'm so incredibly flattered. And I, I was worried. What if we don't even get one partner, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, maybe a little bit of humility goes a long way. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's just been incredible. And um, it's really giving us, I told I, the cool thing that I think I did, the thing that I did right is I went around the office with a bowl and I had, um, every room in the house in the bowl. And I passed it out to every designer in the office. They each picked a room and I said, that's your room. So I'm your client. I want you to design this room. And, you know, of course I'm here to help and I'm going to have my own design DNA, but I want everybody in the office to feel like they're a part of it and to be proud that, you know, maybe they tried something new or did something a little bit different. And if anyone's going to let them do it, it should be me. Right. So um, I said, push the envelope a little bit, but let's stay true to who we are. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And it's been fun because we've had a couple of brainstorming meetings where everyone's presenting to one another, you know, their tile selections or, you know, whatever it is that they're working on cabinet drawings, things like that. So um, we're really making it like an all office kind of thing. And the other thing I wanted to get from that is for our clients to know that when you do hire us, of course, I'm involved in the project the whole time. I'm always there when you need me, if you need me. And I'm always there working with my staff in the office, but um, I trust them enough that, you know, if I send them to a meeting or I have them working on something on your project, it's not that you're getting like a junior level person, you're getting an awesome designer and I trust them enough to do it in my own house. So I trust them enough to work in your house. And I, I just felt like that was really important, um, you know, for people to know who they're dealing with when it's not me. How does renovating with a print deadline in mind change the build process? Oh, <laughs> building our house, knowing that I have to be in in August <laughs> so I can get pictures done by September so they can go in the November issue. Yeah, it's a little stressful. I mean, really, I kind of said if I do anything to delay this job, then we have some serious problems because I should be able to to do this. Um, but, you know, the truth is we're busy and when I ask somebody to work on my house, it means they're not getting something done on somebody else's house. So um, I have tried to do as much as I can, you know, at night and on the weekend and stuff like that. But so far, we're on top of it. <laughs> we'll see if we drop the ball as we get closer. Wouldn't that be the worst if the designer dropped the ball on her own house? But I mean, there's certainly days where I like kind of stick my head around this wall that I have by my desk. And I'm like, can somebody work on my RCP? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I need these things done. The electrician's coming tomorrow at eight. You know, that happens sometimes. But <laughs> when you look back, what is the one thing you know now that you most wish you had known when you started your firm? I wish that I had a better understanding of the value that myself when I was on my own or our team bring to a job. And I was definitely not confident about charging people money that was appropriate. And I undercharged for a really, really long time. And I actually had a client, I did his whole house, great project, nicest couple ever. When we got done, he sat me down and he said, I would have paid you twice what you charged me. And I was like, wow. And I, you know, here again, something I did wrong. It took me years to like step into that. Uh, I should have turned around and doubled your rate immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But what did I do? I added like $5 to it. You know, I just, I wish I would have had the confidence to do that differently because I don't think I would have gotten into that sticky situation when we, when we were growing and we just didn't know how to build the business properly. So maybe some of that pain and suffering in that time wouldn't have been there. But, you know, at the same time, I feel like there's a purpose for everything. And maybe maybe the place that we're in now is better than we would have been because I have a greater appreciation for um, what we have built and 
you know, what it took to get there and the importance of, you know, having the right people and the right skill set and all that kind of stuff. So I, it's not that I regret it, but man, mm-hmm. it would have been more fun to be making more <laughs> money earlier. Totally. <laughs> what does success look like for you today? I think the root of what I would feel is the most successful is that my office is like a happy environment to be. And if and or when people do leave, they feel like they know how to do everything and they could they could probably do it on their own. You know, I hope I don't want anybody to leave because I love them all <laughs> and we're having fun. But I feel like I ha- I would feel like I hadn't done my job well or service my staff well if they didn't leave with a confidence that they could probably do this on their own. So um, that would feel like success for me. And maybe them coming back someday and saying like, hey, I learned a lot from you. I really enjoyed working for you. I hope my firm looks like yours someday. I mean, that would feel amazing. I, I can't imagine anything greater than that. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news or great podcasts, check out new products or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, and Fred Nikolaus. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.